know. Have you ever had a breakfast braai? Would you put chicken on that breakfast braai? We've sorted on that this morning. We've got three of the four fantastiques around the table for the first time in a long time. I have on my left, Courtney Freeze, former PSL winner with the mighty Maulers Manning Rangers. Courtney Freeze, how are you doing today? Morning, gentlemen. Happy to be here. Lovely to be in each other's company again. Looking forward to today's show. And I have our Egyptian football expert, the unofficial King of Cairo, Ahmed Youssef. How are you doing and why are you making me put chicken on my bride? I know, I know. Thank you very much for, for making a, a, a lovely uh, Egyptian uh, breakfast. No, uh, adapting to the Egyptian breakfast. But no, uh, it's great to finally, after what so many months now, to be uh, in the same room. Absolutely. And you know what? It would be brilliant if we had our fourth fantastic with us. Um, the French connection. The suavest man from Yaoundé, Cameroon. And a man who can walk through most of the cities, razzling, dazzling, sports media executive, Francis and Quain. How are you, sir? Bonjour. I'm very well, thank you. <laughs> I'm sorry I can't be with you this morning. Got into London, but uh, the weather doesn't permit me to want to get wet or cold. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm social distancing over, over the braai. You know what? You can take the boy out of Africa, but you can't take Africa out of the boy. Because we all hate the cold weather in this in this mud island. And a man who is sitting in sunny Cape Town, award-winning football writer, kickoffs, man on the beat, particularly on this Pizzo Mossimani story, Lawrence Kola. How are you doing, sir? <laughs> I'm doing great, and I'm thoroughly going to enjoy this conversation and being back on on the whistle with all these esteemed Gentlemen, <laughs> listen, this is going to be an absolutely brilliant bride today. Um, just to run you over what we're going to do, we are going to talk about Pizzo Mosemane, the Sundowns coaches move to Al Ahli, the Egyptian Giants. We're going to talk a little bit of Premier League as we hit the middle of the show. And we'll end with an interview with that amazing raconteur slash goalkeeper Bruce Hrobla, um, as he tells us about some of his um, favorite memories and favorite cities to play football in. But we have to start the show here. It was a seismic appointment by Al Ahli uh, when they took Pizzo Mosemani, the um, coach who led Sundowns to five titles in seven years in the Premier Soccer League, Africa's richest league. Um, guys, what has the reaction been like? I think, Lawrence, let's start with you in South Africa and then Ahmed, bring it home for Cairo. Look, the reaction uh, was, I think it was the same everywhere. Disbelief, shock. Um, and the, the general public, like the fans, only started to believe the appointment when they saw him in a kit with Al Akhli's badge. Like, <laughs> shocking that Pizza, I, I don't think that it was shocking that he was appointed, but that he left Sundowns, um, especially after winning a domestic treble uh, just a few weeks ago. So, yeah, it's. It's, it's a momentous day, like you said, for, for South African and African football. And yeah, people are, are really pleased and for the most part of it, happy for Pizzo. And it goes beyond uh, Sundowns fans, it's Chiefs party. Mm-hmm. I mean, even the, the president of South Africa has congratulated him. So it's, it's, a good, it's a good time to be a South African football fan now. Yeah, and I think it's, it's also a, a big thing for, it, for Egypt and, and Ahli, especially in the fact that 
they've never hired somebody outside of Egypt or, or, or Europe or they've always kind of stereotypically gone for the same type of manager but now they've gone and they've looked for a successful African manager uh, who has proven that he can win the South African League consistently, who's won the Champions League uh, and I think it's, it's, it's a really big uh, step for Ahli and, and a, a sort of transition for them and, and the fans have, have taken it with, with obviously huge um, admiration, they're very happy about the about uh, getting Pete, so he's you know the top manager in all of Africa. So to me, it's like Ali have have got the uh, the Jose Mourinho, the Pep Guardiola of European football or of African football, mm-hmm. uh, playing mm-hmm. uh, managing them now. Um, so the fans are definitely very excited, and uh, especially by the way that he kind of will try and bring his playing style into Ali um, and, and give them some sort of uh, a character of how they want to play, which they've probably been lacking uh, recently. I think for most African fans, it'd be good to give some context around who Al Ahli are, who Sundowns are. And Sundowns are basically like the Chelsea of the African continent, and particularly in the Premier Soccer League, right? Owned by Patrice Motsepe, who's a billionaire. He's got a lot of investment into that team, and they've been very successful. The players are well paid, the coaches are well paid, um, they've got lots of resources. The team is successful. The question is why would Pizzo leave now? Why Pizza would leave? Honestly, there was talks of him leaving before he signed his new contract in May. Um, he hinted that he was close to joining Chiefs, in fact, um, because he felt a bit like he wasn't wanted completely. He felt that they didn't, you know, put enough effort to secure his future. They felt that he felt that um, he had to almost beg to get the contact extension and that's obviously disrespectful for him for what he's achieved for what he's brought to the club for the professionalism that is instilled in the club and for the status not just in south africa but in african football to see mamalodi sundowns now as a giant they've played in the club world cup like um he said also now that they won the champions league pizzo has put sundowns on the map um and i just think that there was a division that was created between the board, some members of the board and Pizzo and even some of the players um, were kind of, you know, not, not, not gelling with him anymore. Al-Akhli's former coach is on his way out. There's a crucial African Champions League tie coming up. Do you think this might have been the motivation to bring Pizzo in? He is a man who's won on the continent. He can deliver, comp- he can deliver um, titles. 100%. I know Al-Akhli wanted um, Violet to stay until the end of the season, but uh, there was also a bit of disrespect going around there with for his exit. Um, so Pizzo was somebody that they know understands how to beat Widat, understands how to beat Zamalek, understands how to beat Raja Casablanca. Um, these clubs have traditionally not, you know, they've, they've struggled against Sundowns. Um, Pizzo knows how to set up his teams. And they just saw that as like, this is the guy, if there's anybody that we can hire, this is the guy who will give us the best chance of winning the Champions League with three games to go. So I think it's, 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 that definitely played a factor in going straight to pizza, going for the juggler, buying him out of a five-year contract. Because from Ali's point of view, that the, the league is a, is a formality and, and that's something that he's just going to have to win every year. But... The Champions League is what they really want, and they've not had it now for a number of years. And um, I th- and I think you know, is it last year where uh, Sundowns beat Ahly five 0 thrashed them. 
I mean, that's that's a sign for the Ahli board to kind of have a look and say, well, this is a man who can do this to us. This is a band that we need to, to go and, and win this Champions League. When you look at from an African context, Francis, if I'm correct, he's the first sub-Saharan coach to take over at Al-Akhli, um, also framed as the first black African to take over. Um, how seismic is that in the co- his appointment in the context of, of that history, Francis? Um, it's it's a very very powerful symbol. Um, I think for most of us who are involved in the game and who look at the Pan African picture very often, um, it's it's important for us to have a trailblazer like this who has tremendous competence, because sometimes, um, no matter how it goes, I think the symbolism of his move speaks to this. Pan-African spirit that very often we speak about, but isn't really a reality on the ground, especially in our football. Not only don't our players really move between our leagues, we definitely don't see our coaches moving. And the Maghrebian football space almost operates as an asylum of its own, traditionally. And I think it's because of what it represents that you see even the president of South Africa stepping into tweet and send a message of goodwill to a, a, a coach for simply changing jobs. But it means this much to people because of what it represents. It almost feels like this Africa project we believe in could really be a reality. In this interaction, we actually see proof of concept that a person can move out of South Africa and work in, in, uh, in Egypt. And it's natural. It's normal. And it's what should be. And we can only hope that in the same way an Egyptian coach can also leave Egypt and go work in South Africa and a Tanzanian player can go play in Ghana. And we hope that those days will come. Uh, But this is really, really a powerful moment. And it's why I think it's right that we actually focus on it because of what it represents. But most importantly, because of the competence and the excellence that the two entities represent. Alali is a phenomenally well-run club, extremely successful. Um, They punch their weight uh, in terms of the global game as correctly as they should. And in, in the great coach, you have an individual who has a track record of success. He has a distinctive style of play. Uh, he has a concept and a philosophy around football. I know he subscribes or in his playing days had an affiliation with the Ajax or the Dutch style of football. He's a big Van Gaal fan, but he's created his own style. And hopefully, in my opinion, a platform like this should lead him to contending for a European job as well. It shouldn't be the limitation of him. I think from there, the exposure that something like this could give him should allow a club in Spain or in Belgium, maybe where he played before. And somebody could look along and say, hey, uh, maybe a gentleman like this deserves a go in our space as well. And let's see what his philosophy can bring. South Americans have been able to do it. Uh, they can transcend or move into the European space. We haven't really had that with an African coast. I think there's a lot riding on his coattails, not necessarily just with him, but with the doors that he will open. When you look at tactically how Pizzo coaches, the formations, the style, uh, Courtney, I know you know his inner circle at Sundowns. What is it tactically that he does well? And Lauren, it's good to get your perspective because you obviously cover uh, the Premier Soccer League. 
Well, some some of what he's impl- he, he implements into the plays is firstly a high level of confidence. And this is what uh, I've heard a lot about. But just the manner in which the transition from defense into midfield into attack gets done as well. The, the, the keeping of the ball and the high momentum press. This is something he's involved in. Um, and, and the way he wants his teams to play. Um, and I don't know if this is something he can bring to the successful club that there's currently. But I think he's a manager that will evolve to what he currently sees when he gets to that setup. And this this is a very good club he's going into. They're not short of resources. But my question I was uh, I wanted to bring to you, Lawrence, um, is this is a successful club he's going to. What could Pizzo bring to this club that they don't have? Because already there's a stamp of success there. At Sundowns, like Francis even said, it was a Dutch a Dutch influence. Um, I know he was trained by the Feyenoord Academy um, before he actually took over the role as Supersport United head coach. So what Pizzo does that many African coaches don't have is he plays this 4-4-2 system. It looks so simple when you're looking at it on paper, but actually there's so many variations of a formation in that 4-4-2. It turns into a 4-3-3, a 5-3, whatever, it's, it's always it's always transforming on the field of play depending on what he needs. Mm-hmm. And yes, he has a high press, but when his team is on the ball, they play at their own pace. It's it's like it's like it's a training game. He allows them to just you know just knock it, be patient, be patient. Um, and coming to Al Ahly, he's he's a really acknowledged. He doesn't have the luxury that Rene Vela had of being able to have a preseason and preparing his team of bringing in players. So he will stick with the continuity of what Vela has, has built there at the club immediately now for the rest of the season. And then obviously in the preseason or at the end of the season, he'll reassess and try to bring in his own style of football. So as um, Ahmed said earlier, that it hasn't been pleasing on the eye because it was very structured under Vela. What Pizzo wants to bring in is more fluidity. And by more fluidity... It doesn't. He doesn't have a specialist striker and a, a specialist centre back. He plays anybody anywhere where he feels they are most suitable or most mm-hmm. dangerous. For example, you will play Tapelo Morena, who is a right wing. He puts him at left back. He brings in a left winger, one of the best left wingers in the country. He puts him at left back. He, he takes the, the the Morena another game. He puts him as a striker to press. So he uses players where they are most effective for. The game at hand so he's not a manager that will look to create this formula and this this the style of play that he will continue with but he takes it by a game by game basis to see where he can hurt the opposition the most and i think that's what makes him a very successful coach that is flexible and obviously with his, his technical team he knows how to make the decisions at the right time and he's not afraid to leave a big player out and he's not afraid to bring a young player in Obviously, at Al-Akhli, it will maybe change because of the high demands and expectations. But um, an interesting already selection that he's brought into the squad is Saleh Gomar. He had six minutes under Rene Vela this whole season. And Gomar is a very, very highly rated talent that Egyptians say has been throwing away his career with alcohol and women. But this is the type of play that Pizzo likes. He's your Temba one, he's your Gaston Serinos, that creative player that he can put up front. He puts the, the playmakers in the, in, the, in the top two. So 
I think it's going to be very interesting to see how he, he, he manages these players that actually were, were, weren't were even in the in the picture under the previous regime. What, what Lawrence has done so well is he's given us an idea of what some of the changes Pizzo is yeah. starting to, to make. When you look at the Al-Akhli squad, uh, Ahmed, what team is he getting? I mean, you said it's a given that they should win the Egyptian Premier League, which they've done. How good is the squad? Can they go into Africa and be successful? And are there any changes that you've seen since he's come in? Well, I think he's not, you know, taking over a depleted squad, a, a, a bad squad at all. Mm-hmm. It's a good squad. You've got a lot of, in, you know, Egypt internationals in there. Um, Captain goalkeeper Mohamed El Shanao is the number one goalkeeper in Egypt. Positions, positionally, he has every player that he kind of would would need. Um, you mentioned Sahak which is a really interesting question because uh, player because as you said. Uh, he was somebody that you would, was was touted as a, a possible replacement for Abu Trika, you know, many years ago. Completely just gone off the radar, um, and and, and uh, I mean, it's interesting to see how he if if he does use him as that in that number ten role, and and, and if he you know, uses uh, how well he uses him. Um, but but I think he's he's taking over a, a relatively good squad, um, and a squad that's good enough to you know win this Champions League, which is essentially what he's really his his number one goal from, from day one is. What many people need to understand is that Al-Akhli do, does have a better squad than Sundowns. And when he takes when he take, takes his first training session, that was this past, I mean, Friday, he took his first training session, right after arriving, he would have noticed like players like uh, Ali Udieng and Baji up front. These are top, top players. And when a coach comes to a team that has better players like man for man, that's only going to excite him. And that excitement breeds more confidence and more, how can I say, freedom in the squad. So I think that immediate impact of Pizza just coming and working with the players and, you know, immediately seeing, okay, this one can do this, this one can do that. The new vision will obviously bring, bring, bring more to the squad. As you know, here and on The Whistle, it's not just about us. We want to involve you out there. We want you to join us at the table. We want us want you to join us here at the Brian. And we have a couple of questions that we're going to bring in. So the first comes from Ahmed SM, And he has a question around Pizzo and how he develops players. Take a listen. Whenever I used to watch Pizzo Musamani's Sundowns um, rather sporadically, I admit, I used to think that most of his players were incredibly technically gifted. Do you think that this is sort of a prerequisite or the prerequisite to succeed under Pizzo Musumani? There's variables um, in, in the type of players he expects. Um, and this obviously ties into the financial capabilities that Sundowns have that you touched on. So you can sign the best players. Um, and the best players are naturally technically gifted. Um, I watched something about Jose Mourinho in the playbook recently where he said a top coach doesn't teach Cristiano Ronaldo how to pass the ball or take a free kick. A top coach teach, teaches players how to play in a system. Mm-hmm. When clubs like Al-Akhli at Sundowns, they know how to play football. So the players that he, that he usually favours are the ones with extremely high work rate and ones with, I would say, pace. You know, he likes pace. So the, 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 the technical um, strengths of his players are just... It's just a given because of the quality that they that they possess already. So in in his in his uh, midfield roles, you will have guys like Kekana and um, and Jali, those guys who can who can control the game up front. You'll have his pace. Um, so I would just say that the, the technical part of it is just 
when you're at a club of that magnitude, it's it's just natural that they'll be gifted technically. Just following on from you there, Lawrence, I think like the, the technical part that you were talking about is the given. If you're going to be playing at that level of football, there, there is a a norm, there is a, a, a standard that you have to be at. I think what is what is uh, good about this type of manager in terms of getting his, his point across is his clarity of thinking that he gets the team to buy into. Um, as you were talking about earlier, about moving players into positions for certain games. Now, his plan is transferred very clearly to the players. I'm playing you at left back this week. This is where you'll attack from mostly. I don't know what the conversation could be about. But um, it's him understanding the players. But there is a, a, a bare minimum that the players need to be at, a bare minimum standard. And improving their technical ability, that's not maybe the thing. It may be their, their positioning during the game, how to use their engines during the game, when to transition from defense into attack. That's where this guy really now develops the player. That's where the player goes to university and gets his degree. I also think that the important thing is that he studies his opposition really well. Mm -hmm. And that's why it was so important to bring Musi Matlaba, who was his main technical analyst. These are the guys that identify the weaknesses in the opposition. And um, Pizzo obviously takes the plaudits, but the, the, the two guys that came with him, which is the fitness trainer, uh, KB, and Musi as the, the technical analyst, is they were so crucial. Um, and I think that uh, Rulani Mukwena, who's so highly rated, one of the most talked about assistant coaches ever in football, um, is going to be definitely a big miss, actually, for, 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 for Pizzo. I know he wanted him, um, and Rulani made a statement. He, he used the word loyal, I think, three or four times in his statement, loyal and loyalty, about staying at sundowns. And Pizzo actually responded to it on his Twitter account and said, yeah, you know, some people accuse me of being disloyal. How, how can I be disloyal for taking up the biggest job, one of the biggest jobs in the world? I've given the club everything, you know what I mean? So yeah, that, that's another story in itself. We, we've spoken a lot about what Pizzo does well. We've spoken about, you know, his potential to be successful there. But Ahmed, is language, is culture, are those challenges he'll have to overcome? The language aspect is not the biggest of issues. I think, you know, he obviously speaks English and a lot of the players will be able to understand him in, 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 in the language. And, you know, there's been a lot of foreign managers in mm -hmm. the last decade at Ahli. So um, the players will be used to that. Maybe if there are some, you, know, uh, you know, I'm almost certain the majority of players will be able to understand his, the English. I think uh, culturally it might be a bit of a change uh, and it might be you know, a bit different. Um, I mean, it said that he's the first black manager to ever manage at the, at the club. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I mean, yeah, hopefully he kind of gets all the respect he deserves and he's a top, top manager. Um, I don't think he'll have a struggle with anything in Egypt in, in terms of kind of racism or anything like that from the fans. Um, so I think he will settle in relatively quickly. He's been to North Africa many times. He's been to mm -hmm. Egypt many times. There's nothing new for him. Mm -hmm. Obviously, seeing the facilities, that's the only thing that's new for him and he might have been in awe of that. Um, and when they did ask him about coaching at South Africa, he said, if Pep Guardiola can win in Spain, go to Germany, win there, go to England, win there, and he's a coach, they're all professionals. That's expected of them. Yeah. If you want to be the best, you need to be professional. Um, I, me personally, I would say that it obviously would be difficult for him to, 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 to live in Cairo because it's not like South Africa. But like he said, he's doing a job. He's a professional and... 
and that's the end of it. And if I may interject, I actually generally think football is one of those games where as long as you're good at what it is that you do, which is organizing teams, like you all have agreed, organizing mm-hmm. a team and having a style of play or being able to adapt and study your opposition, if you have the tools in place, I think all the good managers are able to translocate. Yeah. And I think we should let him prove the model to be true, that he mm-hmm. too. And it's a question of where the bar is set in terms of what success would look like for him. Because again, like we've touched on, um, for Al-Ali, they, they win all the time. So winning isn't necessarily the <laughs> metric success, so yes, or the man there. So the Champions League thing, like you touched on, is probably like the one space where they'd really be looking to see if he can add something to the club. But beyond that, I think it's the ability to... I know as recently as last week, I was speaking with a colleague of mine who Alali is a heavily scouted club. Um, I, I was speaking with an associate who was working on a move for a player out of Alali into Celtic. Um, I don't know whether it, it, it's come good at present or not, but last week they were really aggressive with it. It's one of these clubs that has history of having really talented players, but these players also get poached. He will have a challenge as well with, luckily for him, the transfer window will shut pretty shortly. But if they are successful, again, at the Champions League level especially, there's also the challenge with the bigger clubs around the globe that come in and want to take their players. And will he have enough uh, gravitas to hold on? Will he be able to attract different types of players into Alali? Would that maybe affect the identity? Maybe if he brings in three of his former players out of SA, how would the fans take to know mm. Alali... There, there are multiple uh, uh, levers at play, and it's how he manages all of these interests. If he just makes Alali continue to do what it does, is that success? Or does he come in there and say, we're going to shake things up and make this club truly pan-African? And so there's going to be a... I know they have a couple of Senegalese boys in their squad already. I know they have um, the guys out of, of Ghana and Mali. But as in mainstays, there's something very... Egyptian about Alali. Mm-hmm. And if he comes and he shakes that up, how would the fans take that? Um, yes. So these are things that it would be an interesting thing to watch. But you will find, I think, if he's successful there, the next challenge will be how does Alali keep him? Because I think his ambition bringing him there, I think it's maybe this new phase that he's opening up, which is internationalizing his career. And I think it's a beautiful thing. And I think a lot more of our coaches on the continent need to start thinking that way and stepping up their individual games in the collective game. I think another important factor is that his wife, who is his agent, mentioned when he, when he arrived at the club to sign his contract that it's his dream to win the club World Cup, the FIFA Club World Cup. Mm. Um, and he always wanted to do that at sundowns and get the, the backing from everybody to do that. And that's something that definitely attracted um, Mohamed Al-Khatib to uh, Pizzo. The fact that that's a goal that Al-Akhli also want to achieve. They want to win the Club World Cup and be put into that that legendary bracket of the first African club to have done that. Um, and talking about the pan-African influence, I'm hearing that there's a couple of guys who, who want to go over with him. Um, 
one isn't African, but it's Gaston Serena, which I'll actually were interested in prior to mm. And the other one is Pizzo's favorite player, the guy we rate highly amongst everybody that's ever coached, which is Tim Bazwane. Um, he, he was the heartbeat of Sundowns, and I, I know that these concerns that Temba wants to, to join in at Al-Akhli and obviously take his career to the next level. Do you, do you so, think, yeah. for example, because um, obviously the Egyptian League has the limit on the number of foreign players you can have, do you think yes. then there will be some wholesale changes in the squad where he might get rid of some of, of, of those current players that he has? Yeah, I think definitely because when I was at the club and I spoke to that board member, uh, Sergeldin or something like that, what's his name? Um, they said Al-Akhli is not like pyramids. They don't splash the cash. They're very methodical in the way that they spend they spend money and how and how they, they, they sell players. So I think if they are, if there's interest in players like uh, Ajayi or in um, in Geraldo who hasn't really done well the Angolan there, they will sell them off and you know get in the players that Pizzo does want. So if there's partners in the squad that's not gonna be in Pizzo's plans, they will obviously be sold off. And that was a very important thing that was brought up. Um, I think over the past, the last time they won the Champions League was in 2013. And for the past seven years, they've spent big every single transfer window. I think 37 million US dollars over the past seven years. But they've made 30 million US dollars in sales over that same period of time. Mm. So, um, yeah, I think it will just be a factor of getting the foreigners out that's not in the plans and then perhaps getting mm. the foreigners in that is what Pizza wants into the team. All right, guys, we've got one more listener question to get in. And this is a question from Yusuf. And he wanted to find out a little bit more about some of the tactics and uh, the formations that um, Pizza might introduce at, uh, at uh, Al-Ahli. As far as I can remember, he never used a classic 10 or a playmaker. So uh, Al-Ahli has three. Young playmakers, Afsha and Hamad Mahmoud, who are well-established. And Saleh Kumar is having great problems and disciplinary problems. Uh, so, uh, what will Pitsu do or how will he act in regards of uh, using these two players? Keeping in mind, they probably can't play in any other position. Pitsu had like seven number 10s at sundowns and they all got game time um like i said he has a 442 but the, the team that isn't really a 442 it's so fluid so i know they only have two strikers right now which is baji and uh, marwan moksin and i doubt moksin will get much game time so those three playmakers that he is referring to will definitely play he will play them inside forward or inverted winger where they come inside because he, he likes to play he likes to play uh, centrally and not with width. You know what I'm saying? The width uh, that, that will be offered to the team will be players like um, Ali Malul, the left wing back. And I'm I'm thinking if, if Pizzo is being Pizzo there, he will convert um, Al Shahat to a right wing back. Um, so these playmakers will either play as part of the, the front two or as inverted wingers um, in the 442 system where they, they come inside and and really do damage to opposition teams. 
No, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think um, it, it's not as if that you know when when Yusuf mentioned there that you know they can't play in other positions. It doesn't necessarily mean that they need to stick to that same four four two. They can still play in their same position within that four four two. Um, and I'd see them playing. You know, if it's the, the two up front, it's a, a main holding striker, and then somebody just behind him who can yeah. play that. You know that you know, the play off that striker. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, guys, I think we'll go around the houses one more time. Um, Al Ahli, this is like a job equivalent to Real Madrid. It's sink or swim. You have to be successful. Otherwise, you're out the door quite quickly. How do you think Pizza will do? Well, I think um, the symbolism of the moment is already a win. I mm-hmm. think um, he's already been successful in that he's trailblazing in a space that much needed somebody with competence to open up a door. And mm-hmm. that remains my opinion. And uh, if the rumors are true, even if he gets the sack, he won't be hungry and he can have more than one Nando's meal. <laughs> He's done well. Do they have Nando's in Egypt? <laughs> they don't, but we can try and get some shipped out there. If, uh... I honestly think that, I, I don't know, if it's true or not, but this is my belief that he will get more time and patience than any other manager in the club's history, mainly because Bibo has put his head on the line with the appointment and gone against the norm, gone against the opinions of others, even in the board and the fans. And two, the fact that he's not European. He's an African who understands what this job means who understands that this is the biggest job, who is grateful for the opportunity to manage this club. And he will hurt when they lose and he will hurt when they're not doing well. And they will see that. Whereas a European, if he loses four games and he's out and he gets his severance package, toodaloo, he goes with his family. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He's bye-bye, forget about it. This is something that will hurt Pizzo if he doesn't succeed there. And I think that is the biggest factor of why they perhaps will be more patient with him than with his predecessors. Yeah, um, for, I think Peter's not coming here to, you know, I, I don't see it as he needing to prove himself. He's obviously proved himself as a top, top manager. Um, yeah. this, is, this appointment is Ahli saying, well, we want, to, we want to win something and let's get the best person to do it. And I'm, in a way, I'm quite happy and, and they've not, uh, they've actually finally really started to understand and, and because and this happens with a lot of African uh, international national teams as well, where the board will just say, "Oh, let's just get a European manager in," because mm. you know they managed um, FC Cologne for half a season. They obviously know how to do well. Um, this is this is uh, Bibo Khatib, um, you know, saying, "Well, look, I'm going to make this decision based upon the best player for this role." Mm. And I'm really happy about that, and and I'm happy that that they've gone through, gone against you know. Never, you know, just yeah, not going for that straight European manager. Um, I think, uh, as Lauren's also said, he will get that patience. And and you know, previous managers have not lasted long in Egypt. You know, Martin Yol lasted six months, and he was a mm. you know by bracket. So he's a, he's a big European manager. Um, he will get the patience. Um, and hopefully, it's you know he's signed a two year contract, I believe. Hopefully, it's not just a two year view. Hopefully, this is a a six year view that they've mm-hmm. they've made. Um, and and they can actually establish something in this club and have some sort of you know, history at the club. That's how I want them to, to, to stay. I think Pizzo's got an exceptionally hard job ahead of him, if I'm being very honest. He's, he's coming in mid-season to pick up a team. 
he won't be able to, he'll have to very quickly assess who he needs and don't need. He hasn't had a preseason with the team, really, to, to, for him to fully know the players the way we've spoken about some of the players he knows in Sundowns. Uh, but he's a good enough manager to, to, to uh, narrow the bridge of that gap that he'll have. Um, I think a lot of credit needs to be given to the board for appointing him. I, um, I think it's a, a very against the grain appointment. I, I could not see it happening. I never knew it would. Uh, this is such a highly creditable, established club in, in Africa and across Europe. And for them to go for Pizzo also says how well he's doing. But as you said a bit earlier, Lawrence and Francis, the uh, guy Bebo has made a, a, um, a brave decision to go against the grain to appoint Pizzo. Um, I think the Pizzo-ness starts to come after his first preseason with this team. That's yeah. when he starts to put in the things we were talking about and the clever things where you move plays into certain areas for the benefit of the opposition you're playing against. But at this moment, I think he'll just use what is currently there, the foundations, and try and ride out and throw a bit of his stardust where needed. Uh, to win the current trophy that's up for grabs. Guys, thank you so much for that. We certainly wish Pete so well. Former Supersport United, former Bafana, former Sundowns coach, a uh, man who's achieved such great success. Five PSL titles in seven years, a domestic treble with Sundowns. He won the African Champions League in 2016. And something that I'm sure Bebo will remember, that 5-0 thrashing in the quarterfinals of the African Champions League. Um, which, if memory serves correct, is the heaviest defeat the club ever um, received in, in, in almost 80 years. So, Pizzo, we certainly wish you well. And Lawrence, as always, a friend of the show, we love having you on. Please, can you remind our listeners out there, how might they find, your, find you out there in the social media world, on the Twitters and the Instagrams and the Facebooks? Okay, thank you very much for inviting me, first and foremost. It's always a pleasure to speak to you guys. You can find me on Twitter at Lorenz underscore KO. On Instagram is Kola Lorenz, K-O-H-L-E-R, Lorenz. And on Facebook, also the same as Lorenz Kola, the other way around. So thank you very much and speak to you guys hopefully soon again. No worries. And, and if we wanted to swipe left or right, would you be on Tinder? <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm in trouble. <laughs> Lawrence, thank you for joining us. All the best, brother. Fantastic analysis from Lawrence. Um, but something that we should definitely turn our attention to is the Premier League. And when we did our preview show, Francis and Courtney actually picked two teams that are flying high right now. Um, Francis, you had mentioned a team in Liverpool and it wasn't the red side. <laughs> it was the blue side. <laughs> what do you know that we didn't know? I don't like you, Francis. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I wasn't saying that they were going to win the league. We were talking about teams. I remember the segment was surprise packages. And I was just saying a, a team worth paying attention to. When you have a manager like Ancelotti um, and you don't pay respect to the fact that he has the backing of a board that has deep pockets and has ambition, and they're giving him a platform and saying, build something for us, 
Um, his ability to attract the likes of James Rodriguez, his ability, first of all, because I was one of the players that always excited me was Dominic Calvert Lewin, and I just felt like he just there was never a system put in place that allowed him to shine because he's he's one of those goal poaching players like a Toto Skilachi. He's like he's one of those types, but he was never played like that. And something just, I just felt like with them getting Allen in particular and Decor, I felt like if they shore up their midfield, their defense was always kind of all right, you know? So they, they was never really a major problem for them. It was just how they were, that defense was protected and, and if they had an option up front for scoring goals. When they had Lukaku, they threatened. They, they've had a history of great number nines at Everton. And so for me, it was just like, if we pay attention to these guys or and we watch their first 10 games and if their 10 games go well, then you could begin to say, all right, let's pay attention to these guys a bit more. And I think that's just what's happened. And so after four games, they are four wins in four. Uh, they look the business. They play with little pressure because I think the fact that we don't have bodies in the stadiums plays to their advantage as well so they don't have that kind of pressure being home or away players can just play and so when you have a good manager i think good managers can don't need to hype up the players and tell them how they need to feed off the the 12th man or 13th man if the referee is already on your side so i will stick with everton as a package that i think come may or whenever the season finishes next year um should be there or thereabouts <laughs> Having taken points of some teams that maybe would not have expected them to, but I think uh, if you you ignore Everton at your peril is all I'm saying. Just following on from what Francis you were talking about, the, within the Premier League there is another league, and I think below the uh, first and second place, this this is the league we're talking about, third, fourth, and who can threaten those positions that uh, other teams are normally getting. And this is why I picked Leicester. I feel Leicester uh, are a team that will threaten the top three and four this season. Um, I think they've got some clever signings. They've managed to hold on to some very good players. I thought Son Chu, who was one of their players of the season last year, and Ndidi, they've held on to them. He's moved Ndidi into centre-back, which for his height makes sense to me and has been playing well until his latest injury. Uh, but that just says how much how much um, capability he has in the team with the other players around him. Harvey Barnes, who was a fantastic player for them last year, is now matured so much that Madison is not starting. And that's a big move because Madison, mm. as we know, signed a new £100,000 uh, a week contract this season. Uh, and then the thing that I think... Leicester have, which a lot of teams, which I don't think many teams in the Premier League have, they've got a Sunday league striker. A guy that plays up front with pace, runs beyond the defence and tries to score. You could easily see him fitting into a Sam Allardyce team. Just get it up there, he'll run beyond the defenders and score. And Jamie Vardy, in his current form, is unplayable. Man City found that out last week. With all the assignments of football and the barcelona S type of play, they could not beat a Sunday league player. And that's what Jamie Vardy is. And I don't say this disrespectfully. I say that to his credit and his work ethic that he shows. Um, I feel that Leicester will get in the top four this year. Um, I just think they have a very good team. 
and they the signings they've made, the right back they've purchased who was on nobody's radar, who's stepped in well with some good assists. They've lost Ben Chilwell, but that hasn't really affected their defense. Um, I still stick with uh, Leicester to be a very good surprise package this year. And on top of that, they've got Colo Toure. So, I'm with you. <laughs> well, well, listen, guys, I know we've spoken about surprise packages and someone who is always full of surprises as Bruce Grobler, the former Zimbabwean, the former Liverpool goalkeeper. And um, a few weeks ago, we caught up with him. But we also had the chance to fire off a few quickfire questions at him to find out about his conversation with Klopp and also about his legacy and how he'd like to be remembered one day. Take a listen to our interview here with Bruce Grobler. Thank you for taking our quickfire questions. First off, why do you love football? My father told me to. Best answer in the world. He taught you well. Which is your favorite city in the world to visit and play football in? Dear me. It's got to be Liverpool. Can't beat the Anfield atmosphere. What was your most memorable football initiation? And did you have to sing a song? Never sang a song. Stood buck naked around a tree before the <laughs> witch doctor came. <laughs> Who is one person you can't go a day without texting or calling? Ah, texting or calling. <laughs> my don't... cousin. I'll say my cousin in Joburg. Oh, yeah? And what are you guys... Yeah. His what are you guys fixed about? Anthony Sangoma Archer. And he is, uh, he is in there in the four ways. And I text about his bad golf. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you proud to be African, Bruce? Because that's where I was born. And nobody should ever try and dis, uh, disadvantage yourself from where you were born. Your color, your race, your creed, your religion. You be proud of who you are every single day. Bruce, you've written many books. Well, two books that I know of. If three. there was to be a movie, sorry, three, my apologies. If there was to be a movie made about you, who would you like to play you? Anybody with a bald head. <laughs> <laughs> no. It'd have to be someone with a, a, a bit of hair and who's quite uh, athletic because that's what it's about. It was about my goalkeeping and everything. So I don't know. Uh, in, in this day and age, who would I get to? I was going to go with Bruce Willis. Well, Bruce Willis, could he dive around? I don't know. I don't I, know, man. He's early, in his early days, yes. <laughs> Last two questions. When you met Jurgen Klopp for a pint, what did you talk to him about? I haven't met him for a pint. I met him in, a, in, in one of the lounges. And uh, what did we talk about? We talked about his goalkeeping coach. And did he give you the job? No, uh, he kept uh, the goalkeeping coach that he's got. And he's doing a remarkable job at the moment with Alison. Absolutely. Final question. How would you like to be remembered one day? Just as a normal person that played for Liverpool under the greatest time. Uh, and yeah, how would I like to be remembered? 
a good Liverpool goalkeeper. Bruce, thank you for your time. You certainly had an extraordinary career and life. What a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you very much indeed, Zane. Bruce Krobler, always entertaining and I'm sure will leave a legacy that will loom really large one day when he passes on. But guys, that's a wrap for today. Uh, for all the listeners out there, please do get in touch with us. We love to hear from you. Hit us up on our social media accounts on the Twitters and the Instagrams. Notice how I'm being funny with that. It's OTW underscore podcast. You can also find us on Facebook at On The Whistle Podcast Group. And uh, if you want to watch us and see our beautiful mugs, you can also hit us up on YouTube and that's on the whistle podcast guys it's been amazing catching up with you all francis it's great to have you back in london good that you brought the good bad weather um francis courtney ahmed love seeing you guys and i can't wait to get around the brine thank you very much nice seeing you too gentlemen nice seeing you all as well gentlemen wishing you guys the best of health and enjoy the weather <laughs>